Welcome to the Unformed Handball Hour, where I am joined by Chris O'Reilly. Hello, Alex. But no Brian Campion today, because he has taken a well-deserved holiday, uh, enjoying the sun in Spain. So me and Chris are going to talk about the handball that's going on. And you would think that in the middle of July, there's not much going on. But we have under-20s. European Championship. We've got the African Championship. We have the World Games going on. We just finished uh, the North American and Central American qualifying draw, where the USA actually qualified for a World Championship and didn't yeah. need a wild card. It was amazing. <laughs> so, lots of handball to talk about. And in particular, we are going to speak to Leonardo Bordonhos, who yes. is in Portugal watching all of the under-20s games, he's going to give us a bit of insight uh, into the championship, into the top players, and uh, the huge hopes that Portugal has in two brothers that you may have heard of. But we'll leave that conversation a little bit. And I think we have to start with just a clap for the USA. <laughs> <laughs> they did it. They did. Well, yeah, I mean, they qualified for the World Championship next year in Sweden and Poland and they did it in style they absolutely hammered everyone in well not hammered but they but they were pretty comfortable i think winning that championship against three teams that usually they lose against in greenland uh cuba and mexico they won every single game it was very impressive it really showed it's testament to how this squad has actually developed together because looking at the squad it's very similar to the one we played against three four years ago not significant changes in terms of new random superstars from Mm. spain coming in well one that has come in who's probably changed some fortunes but otherwise it's a squad that has developed together that has played a lot there's they have a good coach, so um, I'm really happy for them, and hopefully we will see them in the World Championship this year without any uh, COVID issues like like the last one. Yeah, and I think it was a particularly like sweet pair of victories over Greenland for the USA because I'm pretty sure anyone who listened to the podcast a year and a half ago in the build-up to the World Championship uh, was seeing the fact that Greenland really were and rightly so, complaining about the fact that they didn't get the North American spot into the World Championship and USA got it instead of them because of, let's say, the project or the hopes and dreams of making the sport bigger in the USA and with the Olympics going to LA in 2028. But they they played each other in the first game of the championship. They played each other in the final. And on both occasions, it was, well, an eight-goal victory first time around, seven-goal victory for USA uh, second time around. And so really no denying that, at least this time, USA were the top dogs in that region. And it's going to be interesting to see how they get on in the World Championship. I mean, there's, uh, the draw was already made, right? So we, we already have uh, their opponents in the preliminary round. Let me just see if I can. Actually, we only have, two, we only have one of their opponents because of another thing we're going to talk about, the African Championship. So the USA are in with Croatia which is not easy by any means. And then the the African champions and the African bronze medalists. So, yeah, going to be a tough group for them. But uh, the fact that they're there and they qualified, that's a big step for the USA. Do you want to run through that draw as well? Um, very oh, quickly. Let's do that. Okay, we'll do, we'll do it quickly. And uh, so in Group A, we've got Spain, Montenegro, Chile and Iran. Bear in mind here, 32 teams, top three in each group go through to the next round. So only one team gets knocked out in each of these groups. Group B, France, Poland, Saudi Arabia, and Slovenia. Group C. Slovenia, who got a wild card. 
Slovenia got a wild card, yes, as did the Netherlands, which is uh, an, a more interesting news there. Sweden, Brazil, the African silver medalists, and Uruguay, one of our favorite teams from that last world championship. Uh, they're Can't in wait Group to watch C. Geronimo again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Group D, Iceland, Portugal, Hungary, and South Korea. That's a very familiar group, isn't it? Iceland, <laughs> Portugal, and Hungary. And then a team of speedy players. Instead of Netherlands, it's South Korea in there. So that's that's a bit of a a group of death in there. Depending on how South Korea are set up. But yeah, not an easy group at all in Group D. Uh, group E, Germany, Qatar, Serbia, and the fifth place team from Africa. That's, that's going to be... Brutal for them. Uh, Group F, (laughs) Norway, North Macedonia, Argentina, and Netherlands. Another really interesting group there where every team will fancy their chances of going through. Argentina will be raging. They'll be raging. Got that wild card. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Then Group G, I mentioned there before, USA, Croatia, and then two teams from Africa. Group H is Denmark, Belgium, who qualified for the first time. Bahrain and the fourth place team from Africa. So take away, I would Bahrain at the the Olympics last year were very impressive, but uh, Belgium and Africa four, that's uh, there's a spot for one of them at least in the next round. And there's your eight groups. I'm gonna put my money on Denmark to win the whole thing because they're not going to play their first team for the first, the first week. Games. For the first week, they're just. I can't wait for the hype that's going to happen in Denmark around that time as well. This always happens where there's a good bit of hype. You know, people support uh, the nation and get Mm. a lot of people who don't really support handball on a day to day basis also join in. It's on, you know, DR, the the main TV channel. Lots of people tune in, and it's going to be Denmark playing. The, the fourth best team in Africa and winning by 30 goals. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, on top of that, they're playing their games in Malmo. So it's basically a home venue for them. So that's, that's, uh, that's good for the main round as well. So Denmark, practically a home nation until the quarterfinals. Always good. Always good. But yeah, exciting. Always kind of the world championship sneaks up on you. Um, these things happen and the, the draw happens and we're going to have a, a world championship in just uh, six months. So that's going to be exciting. But before then, we have to decide who these five African teams that are going to join, which is quite a lot, um, I have to say. Mm. Um, seeing as there is 14 teams in the championship and one of which Kenya had to pull out so just 13 teams competing for five spots uh, which makes this championship pretty exciting uh, this the african championship itself has had a pretty uh, up and down last six months because it was supposed to be held in january in morocco uh, january of this year in morocco but that was moved due to protests received um the day of the draw. So the protests came because Morocco was planning to play some of the games in a disputed territory in Morocco called Sarawi. So the Sarawi Arab Democratic Republic, uh, which is a disputed territory and Algeria especially did not like that there was going to be games in that territory and we're going to boycott the competition. So after a bit of drama, uh, it was initially moved to June, then finally to July and is taking place in Egypt, which is a good place for it since uh, they just hosted uh, a world championship recently themselves. So after a lot of turmoil, it has started. Um, and so far, there hasn't been too many surprises. Um, I think we all expect Egypt to really come out on top and in general it is Tunisia who are their huge rivals in the in the competition I don't think this Tunisian team is as strong uh, as it has been in the past and especially after what happened in the 2020 African Champions 
uh, African Championship. Do you, do you remember that? Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> the scenes, right? It was in. Was it yeah. in Tunisia? It was in it Tunisia, was Tunisia, right? Yes, yeah. Tunisia playing Egypt in the final in yeah. Tunisia in a absolutely insane hall atmosphere in Tunis, and uh, the Tunisian fans got a bit too excited and didn't like the fact that Egypt won, so they. Or were winning. They hadn't won the game yet. There was a couple of minutes left. So they stormed the pitch. The fans, that is. They stormed the pitch, attacked some players. It was just absolute insanity. So uh, let's just say if there is a final between Egypt and Tunisia in Egypt... Um, it's not going to be a friendly atmosphere. You know, just looking back at that, you said like it seems a lot that there were... That five teams are going to the World Championship... From that one, uh, because it was also hosted in Egypt, seven teams qualified. <laughs> That's how we were treated to the Democratic Republic of Congo qualifying for that championship because they finished in seventh place. It's in the quarterfinal stage now, and that's on Friday. Egypt have a tricky quarterfinal, though, against Algeria, who they lost against Guinea, which... Uh, was a really surprising one. I think I have to see if I can find some highlights of that because Algeria were winning 14-11 at halftime and then lost 28-22. So that that put them up against Egypt now in the quarterfinals. So it's Egypt, Algeria and Tunisia all on the same side of the draw in the quarterfinals, which means we're going to have a new finalist on the other side of the draw. Because it's Guinea versus Morocco in one quarterfinal and Angola against Cape Verde in the other quarterfinal. So one of those four teams is going to get to the final for the very first time, which is quite exciting. And so, yeah, it could actually just be a cakewalk for Egypt or it's going to be a very difficult quarterfinal and semifinal. I still don't doubt Egypt. Um, they're, They're really, I think, really a step ahead of any team uh, unless the triplets for Tunisia really turn up and uh, show them how it's done uh yeah if you don't know what that is BBC uh, BBC Africa did a, a feature on three brothers Amin Anis and Yassine and uh, I just love the vibes from their father uh, a bit like we'll actually hear a similar I guess a similar view from Leo uh, our guest coming up as he speaks about the the Costa brothers, but just uh, you know a handball father with some sons and how they how how the father approaches their future career. I think uh, I'd be the same if I had twins or triplets. Uh, that's what I'd be doing with them. <laughs> but, a full backcourt. That is a just full backcourt exactly. Yeah, but um, yeah. So an interesting conclusion of the African Championships on the way. Uh, yeah, I think you're right, though. Egypt are just, they're pulling away a little bit uh, in general with the the level they're showing and the players that are moving to Europe. But four other places in there uh, for the World Championship next year. So, yeah, it could be could be interesting and very tricky for Algeria uh, if they're going to lose that quarterfinal. They're going to have to to beat the likes of DR Congo to qualify for the for the World Championship. Shall we go into the interview? What do you reckon? I think so. Okay, so we're going to move on to uh, the current championship that's in Europe at the moment. It's the men's under-20 EHF Euro. A really interesting championship happening in Portugal. And we're going to speak to Leo Bordonios from Seth Metros, who's there in Portugal, as uh, he takes us through what's impressed him so far. And there's a lot of players and teams to look back on. So we welcome Leo Bordonios from Set Metros in Portugal onto the podcast. Uh, Portugal hosting the under-20 men's Euro at the moment. It seems like it's been a really fascinating championship. So it's great to have you on, Leo, to talk about it. But uh, how are you doing? Everything is all right, Chris, Alex, first of all. Uh, thanks for inviting me uh, to talk a little bit about this amazing opportunity that is the, the men's under-20 European Championship. Like you said, it's been it's been great. The only thing I could point out is that, you know, 
it, it, it's almost as if it was written um, here in Portugal, we're going through this massive heat wave. And so it's really hot. Uh, but besides that, I think the, the Euro so far have been amazing and amazing experience both for Portugal as well as all of the teams participating. And we've seen uh, a few a few interesting things over these la- last couple of days. Yeah, and it seems like there is a bit of interest in it. Definitely that uh, Spain-Portugal game. You could, there was pretty much a full arena, which is uh, amazing to see for an underage tournament. Have you seen kind of good interest in the tournament in the country? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's like I was saying. I mean, I think the fact that it's been so hot, it, it kind of deterred people from going to the arenas. Uh, but that Portugal-Spain game, I mean, I think it was kind of a... It was almost as if it was a final, you know, there's this rivalry between Portugal and Spain, there's this nice rivalry between between the two countries. And so from what I've seen so far, I think those are the two main candidates to win it all. So I think that whole game just had this, this amazing atmosphere. And then, for example, the Portugal-Denmark game, I was there in the arena. And the moment we started listening to, to the Portuguese uh, anthem and then the Danish anthem, um it was it was i mean i've got goosebumps right now just thinking about it because it really was uh, an amazing an amazing moment not just for for handball fans in portugal uh, but even for those players, those young, those young players who who've had this amazing opportunity. Well, you mentioned there the the opportunity of of having this championship, and uh, Portugal's stock in the handball world has been rising very consistently over the last few years. But I'm pretty sure when they knew they were going to be hosting this tournament, they never, in their wildest dreams, the Portuguese handball community thought that they would have two players on their hands that would be. The face of this championship for them, the two brothers, Martim and Kiko Costa, who we've spoken a lot about on the podcast in the last few months because they've just like, captured the imagination. Uh, and here they are, like absolutely destroying the tournament. You mentioned that game against Spain and Alex posted on our uh, on our Twitter account a few days ago that winning goal. But 24 goals between the two of them from 36 uh, I think you tweeted as well about them scoring 42% of all of the Portuguese goals. Like, you couldn't have asked for a better pair of players to have uh, to kind of signify this new generation of, of Portuguese handball. And the fact that they're brothers just makes it that much. I mean, it, it's amazing. And and their their father, uh, Ricardo Costa, he gave a talk, uh, I think, last weekend. And he said that they were a bit of an experiment uh, because, I mean, he was a Portuguese international, one of the most cap players uh, in, in Portuguese handball history. He played in Spain, he played in Porto. Uh, so, you know, when you've got a father like that and then you decide, well, I want to play handball, I mean, the bar couldn't be higher. Uh, and so he was talking about the way, how they were sort of experimenting because he doesn't know, he didn't know how, how it was to, to raise two sons who wanted to be handball players. Um, and so the fact that they've been able to establish themselves uh, in the way that they did. Uh, I think it just shows the talent that they have. Martin, um, when he, he played at Porto, he, both of them have this um, amazing uh, background, handball background. I mean, they, they started playing at Colegio de Carvalho, which is sort of this handball, I mean, academy school. They're one of the best uh, handball academies in Portugal. And so when you, Diogo Rema Marques, for example, the Portuguese goalkeeper, he came from Colegio de Carvalho as well as many other players i mean they really know how to develop high talent players uh, and so after going to porto martin had this brief stint in gaia with uh, ricardo and even in the second division he was able at 17 years of age he was the top scorer of the second division the year gaia um, won promotion to to the league uh, and so you knew that the talent was there, but the way they've been able to establish themselves this season with sporting in the European League, uh, I don't even think they uh, were expecting it, to be honest. And I mean, what Francisco as well as as Martin did against Magdeburg uh, was was outstanding. I mean, it ended the way it did. Sporting could have very well um, knocked out uh, Magdeburg because they really were outstanding. And and what they've been doing in this in this Euro is is really. I, I don't want to say it's one. It's the main reason, but I mean, you know, when Portugal need a goal, you know who who you want the ball in, in whose hands. I mean, you know, Francisco is still developing. You know, he's still young. I mean, he's only seventeen, but you can see that the raw talent's there. I mean, physically, technically, he's outstanding. Martin, he's grown a little bit, so he knows um, how to 
play a bit better. He knows when to wait, when to when to go and, and play at full speed. But even he he's still uh, growing. And so I think this team has shown a lot, but they can still uh, improve a lot. Yeah, for sure. When you said, you know, in those moments, you know who the ball is going to come to. And in that Spain-Portugal game, I had no doubt in my mind that the ball was going to Kiko Costa. And to to score that winning goal in the last second, and the way he did it was just incredibly dynamic. He jumped in the air as if he was about to jump shoot and then floated yeah. about two meters to the right. It's not an easy goal like <laughs> at all. I mean, because he's jumping outwards, so he, he's losing angle. He shoots at the first po- at the near post, which is, you know, usually the goalkeeper has that post. He's trying to defend that. I mean, it's not an easy goal when you're watching it. I mean, I had my phone in my hand after I saw the goal. It flew right into the, the wall because I was just, <laughs> I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was almost as if Portugal had won the Euro. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you you knew who that ball was going to, and, and he even said it after the game. I mean, he said that uh, he knew the ball was going to to him, and he, you know he just had to score. There was no other option. And absolutely remarkable that he is still. He probably has another two years playing under twenty. You know, another couple of years. He's still seventeen. Uh, I don't. I don't think do we'll it. see him play under twenties. <laughs> Maybe the under twenty one World Championship next year. But then, yeah, I think it, his summers will be. Will be busy after that, or he'll need that time. Yeah, and, and in that right back position, I mean, Portugal historically has had a hard time with with their right backs, and I mean, here we have it. Uh, I mean, you couldn't, even though we had Diogo Silva a couple of years ago, he showed a lot of promise. Unfortunately, he's had to deal with a couple of injuries. Um, knock on wood. Hopefully, he gets he gets better, and and Kiku never has to deal with any of that. Uh, but I mean, Kiku is just. Uh, I've been reluctant to say his. He's a world-class talent because we know he's only 17 years of age. We know how these things can change in, in a matter of months. Uh, but I mean, it's getting it's getting hard to not to not to call him a, if not a world-class talent. I mean, at least a, a European-class talent. I think that's. Uh, I think we're happy happy to say that for you. It's <laughs> it's yeah, pretty clear. But but that's what I I think a lot of people are really interested in in this championship in particular. The, the under 20 European Championship and next year with the under 21 Worlds is not so much caring about the results. Of course, if you're connected to a country and particularly when you're the home nation like Portugal, that's important. But for the neutrals, just seeing the next generation of players starting to, to show what they're made of and you look at them playing and, you know, most of them look like they could be playing senior handball. Some of them already are. Uh, but it's really a good 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 view of the next generation uh, and i'm really interested with the amount of games you've seen and the teams you've seen what other players have really stood out to you and and who you see being like this next world class or uh, at least international level player yeah that's something i've found really interesting is that um focusing particularly on, on portugal uh you have pretty much all of the team has already played uh, at the senior level um when it comes to, to the Portuguese league. Uh, and so I, I think that's really important. I think that's something we've seen in this in these main uh, main stars, if you can call them, these young players who who have been showing all of their talent in the in the European Championship. I've loved what I've seen from, from the Faroe Islands and I've tried to pronounce his name a bunch of times. I keep butchering his <laughs> name. But Elias Elefson Skip. Pagotu, I'm sorry, Elias. If- I think that's pretty close, yeah. yeah. I, I just want to like do this now, and I know he's going to be a star for many, many years, but I'm going to just start calling him Skipper from now on. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's it. Uh, everyone struggles, he's the Skipper. I'm ready, so. <laughs> skipper. <laughs> I think he'd understand. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, he he played with Sevenhoff um in the European competitions, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was the MVP of the Swedish league uh, either this season or last season. I think it was this season. So, I mean, we're talking about a player who was playing at the under-20 European Championship. This alone just shows, first of all, his talent. Second of all, his maturity. Um, just to be able to to play against, on a, on a weekly basis, older competition, uh, stronger competition, and, and and being able to perform at the high level that he's been performing. Uh, I saw it on I saw on Twitter that a lot of people uh, found it odd how he he did, he wasn't mentioned in the I think it was five or six players to look out for in the in the European uh, in the in this Euro. Uh, 
but I mean, we've got so many players. A lot of times we don't even know how they'll uh, show up at the European Championship. They can promise a lot and then really not be able to perform. He himself struggled with injuries uh, in the last two games of the preliminary round. And we saw what he did in the intermediate round. I mean, he, he in the first game, he completely dominated, if I'm not mistaken, 12 goals, 11 assists, something like that. Uh, I mean, uh, in, we're not talking about it's. It's not. We're not talking. It's the elite of the elite when it comes to that age group uh, in European handball, and he did that. And I'm pretty sure that if he had played uh, those last two games against Slovenia and Hungary, if I'm not mistaken, I think I'm pretty sure the Faroe Islands could have um, could have uh, surpri- surprised uh, a few more people because I mean that game against Slovenia, they lose by one, if I'm not mistaken. If he plays that game, I'm sure they win. Um, and in Hungary, it was it was a different type of game. Uh, but I think he has been one of the of the key players. Um, Alexander Linden, the Swedish goalkeeper. Uh, I've really been into goalkeepers in this European Championship because I've seen we've seen so many goalkeepers come out at the end of the day and with outstanding performances. I couldn't find what club he plays for, but I mean, if I'm not mistaken, he has 45 saves of which. 33 were in the main round uh, in these last two games. He had 18 games in the first game of the main, 18 saves in the first game of the main round, and he had 15 saves against Germany yesterday. Um, the game that ga- the game that gave them the the semi-final berth, um, and so 45 saves is ginormous. I think he's one meter 95. I don't know what what that is in like feet. I mean, six foot. Uh, we don't care. <laughs> no, we're 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 meters and centimeters here as well. Don't worry. <laughs> 195 centimeters. He's massive. He's long, but he's quick. Um, and so I think that Sweden have you know a keeper for the future. I really like what I've seen from him. Um, then this is a player in in the French team. He's not the top goal scorer, uh, but I really liked what I saw from him. He played uh, with Nantes, uh, I think it was not this season that just ended, the previous season. Uh, his name is Matteo Faduli. Um, I really like what I've seen from him. I mean, he's quick, he's shifty when he gets to, to one-on-one, and I really like what I saw from him uh, in a couple of games, even though this French team, uh, I think it, it was a bit of a disappointment, if you can call it that. I think we're always expecting a lot from France uh, to to contend for 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 medals. Um, but I really like what I saw from him. And then when it comes to Denmark, uh, he gave he gave Portugal a hard time in that in that main round uh, game. Uh, Thomas Arnoldson, I mean, he's just another player who physically is massive. I, I'm astounded at how big these players are at yeah. 18, 19, <laughs> 17. I mean, it's whenever when when I was in the arena and I was. No, standing next to them, I was like, "You're you're ginormous. What's happening?" I mean, these players are just physically developed for their age, uh, and I think that's that's key when it gets to when it gets to to playing at the high level that they've been performing. Uh, Thomas has 39 goals. He's also one of the, if I'm not mistaken, he's the second leading scorer of the Euro. You know, I liked what I saw from him, even though it wasn't the best game from Denmark against Portugal. Uh, he struggled a little bit uh, depending on the game. Uh, I still think he needs to to gain a little bit more confidence when it comes to 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 like for example when when Kiku decided he wanted the ball to score the winning goal. I still think he needs to develop a bit a bit of, a little bit more of his confidence to get the ball and and say okay now it's my turn. Um, let me get a shot at goal. Um, but I think we've seen a lot of a lot of talent in 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 this Euro so far. Yeah, and one one thing I love about this competition is it's played at such a high pace. Uh, that's why we see players getting you know twelve goals and eleven assists, or you know double doubles, or goalkeepers. And the one game that really stood out for me was between Iceland and Montenegro, where uh, Iceland won forty one twenty eight. But also both goalkeepers made 16 saves. <laughs> so, it just, <laughs> so it just tells you how, how crazy some of these games are. Uh, and it's what, what have you seen around kind of the styles of handball? Cause that's always interesting, especially at this age group. You have teams or players who are, you know, have grown up in their same league in Denmark, for example, and then they come up against a Spanish team, which plays a completely different style. Have you seen any interesting styles from any of the teams uh, across the competition? 
I think when we get to this age group and players are starting to get near that senior level, even coaches, they, in my opinion, from what I've seen, um, it they don't really differ from what we see at the senior level. I mean, this Spanish team is just a copy of what of what we're used to seeing um, the, the 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 Spanish men's national team perform. Um, Jordi Rivera, he was there, uh, and you can see like the impact that that. Uh, this Spanish team has. I mean, you can clearly see the style of play is, is brought down from, you know, the senior team all the way down to, you know, under 18s, under 16s, uh, and even at lower age groups. Um, and so Spain, for example, I mean, it's it's one of the reasons why they're always contending and why they're able to keep the level of, of, of play um, for years and years and years, because when players get to their first team, they know what style of play uh, is expected of them. And I think we saw that from the Spanish team. I think we saw that from the Danish team. France, uh, I think the French teams usually have one or two key players, players that usually stand out either because they're physically gifted or because they're really talented. Uh, I don't think we saw that uh, in this French team. And maybe that's one of the reasons why um, they didn't perform the way we were expecting of them, um, even though they tried to uh, use a more collective type uh, style of play. Uh, but I mean, usually what we're used to seeing from, from this French team is that uh, when it gets down to it, they usually have one or two players that really stand out and, and take over when it's needed. Uh, Sweden, uh, it, it's just like we're watching a carbon copy of, of the Swedish team that won the Euro. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why they're, they're, they'll be they'll be a hard team to, for Portugal to play against. Um Portugal, for example, is one of the teams where I think we're completely different from what we see at senior level, just because I think we've got such a high talent level. Um, we've got so many players that are able to score, which is something that Portugal usually lacks when it comes to, to the senior team. Um, I mean, we don't see players. I mean, we're talking about completely different levels of, of handball. The opposition is completely different. Uh, and so... Of course, we're not going to be able to see a Portuguese player at the senior level score 11, 12, 14 goals like we saw Kiko do more than once at this at this Euros. Uh, but I think Portugal is a bit different. I mean, Andres Souza, the, the the playmaker, you can see uh, sort of resemble. Uh, he talked about it. He he mirrors his style a lot with Rui Silva, who I think is still one of the most you know undervalued playmakers in in European handball. Um, and he'll be playing with Porto next season. And so he himself said that he mirrors his game a lot with, with Rui. You can see uh, the resemblances um, the, that, that these two players have. But Andre, for example, he does, he isn't afraid to, to, to shoot that goal. He isn't afraid to score, uh, which is a bit different from what we usually see from, from Rui. When he gets to you know left and right back, Martini and Francisco are unlike anything we had got at the Portuguese senior team uh, because they're not afraid to, to shoot. And I think that's something we... We lack in, in in the Portuguese senior team. Um, I think those are the main differences. Uh, defensively, it's pretty much the same thing. We've got really good um, defensive players such as Nilton Melo, um, Gabriel Cavalcanti, who's Alexandre's uh, younger brother. He's only seventeen. He's uh, one of I the. I was wondering about. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of the players uh, who I wanted to to highlight because. He's been mainly a defensive presence, but defensively he's amazing. He's 17. I think he turned 17 uh, this this year. Uh, but I mean, he's once again he's 190 something centimeters. He's massive, uh, just ridiculous. He played. He was with Benfica. He was alone down to 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 Vitoria this season, which helped him grow. He isn't afraid to hit when he has to hit, but he's quick. He's really quick when it gets when it's time to to come out and and try to contact players at the nine meters. He's great at curving the line players. He's got a bunch of steals this this European Championship so far, where he's just he's able to turn around the line player and just take the ball away from his end at the last second. Um, and so when it gets to styles of play, I think we're starting to see that teams are looking into the future. They're looking at the future and they're seeing okay if we want to be able to to maintain a, a level of play at the senior level, this is what needs to happen. These players at younger age groups need to mirror their their or the team needs to mirror their style of play um, of by the by the, the senior teams. And so I think that's what we've seen so far, and and hopefully that's what we'll continue to see because that's how you know national teams are able to maintain the level for years and years and years. How about you, Alex? Have you noticed any anything different about this championship in the way the teams have approached it? 
yeah, as I said, the the pace is more intense. So um, in general, while while the style styles may be similar, it really is a you know that each team has uh, most teams have their kind of standout players, which means that they are able to quickly get them the ball. And so it is almost like, you know, France playing at a senior level. You have pace on the fast break because, again, all of these players are also young, fit and injury free. Touch wood for the rest of their careers. But, you know, they're, they're all fast, young, quick. And I think that's where handball is going. It's getting quicker and quicker. You, you can't really get anywhere with a slow style handball anymore you know it's possible at a a senior level where you do have much more experience but at this level it's all about speed making sure you get the attacks in and you finish them and then the last bits really come down to the quality of the players and the goalkeepers so um it's been fascinating to see and the games are just great fun one game that sticks out of my head in the way that a team tried to control the pace was right at the very beginning, the Faroe Islands and Denmark, and that incredible victory for Faroe Islands, where it looked like they really tried to slow things down, but still the score was 33-32. It was not, it was not like a low-scoring game by any means, and the keepers, like, it's not like they were letting everything in. It's interesting what you were saying, uh, Leo, about you know the teams reflecting their senior team, and I think that is... That's uh, you know not a surprise in any way for the established teams, but then you're seeing Portugal, like you said, maybe not looking towards the senior team, but saying this will be the senior team. So this this new group of players is is forming the team and is playing in a in a way that maybe the the current crop um, can't really fit with. And uh, I think we're seeing in the mid table as well of this championship some teams coming through. Italy and Faroe Islands, for example, who are a bit bit of a surprise. Well, I mean, maybe not to the complete handball nerds, a surprise package. But if, if the average handball fan is looking at this championship and they see Italy and Faroe Islands in a competition for the top 10, that was a, is a real surprise for them. And is there any other teams that have surprised you um, positively or, or negatively? You mentioned France as well a little bit there, but... Um, teams that have stood out for you in a, a different way yeah um i had italy as well as far the Faroe islands italy for me i mean i'm gonna be honest I, I didn't really know much about italian handball before the for the euros because uh, i mean it's not one of those you know nations where we're used to to watching the teams play at, at a high level or even the national team they're starting to contend but it's there's it's not a team that we're used to seeing uh playing at the final qualifying playoff for for the euros or 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 the World Cup, yet they've showed that the talents there, and something that I feel like, for example, uh, looking at this national, at this Italian national team, uh, something I feel needs to happen, in a similar way to what happened with the Portuguese with Portuguese handball a couple of years ago, with players starting to to leave their home nation, going and and trying to to find their place in more competitive um, situations, more competitive championships, because then they'll bring that experience into their own national team. And that just leads to to, to the whole level evolving. So Italy has been quite the amazing surprise. I'm rooting for them uh, until until the end of, of the championship, because I really want to see uh, how they evolve after this, after this, this championship. Um, on the negative side, uh, I feel like Norway was a bit of a letdown, uh, even though uh, it's always hard, in my opinion, when we're trying to, to you know, either preview or analyze uh, championships like this. Uh, we're talking about kids, 17, 18, 19 year olds. Uh, and so we never really know uh, what they'll bring, you know, how they'll present themselves in, in, in these types of, of tournaments, even though most of them have already played at the under 18s, under 16s. Um, competitions, they know what it's like to, to represent, most of them know what it's like to represent their home nation but when it gets to this level um, you never really know because it's starting to pick up, uh, the, like Alex was saying, the tempo is different uh, the physicality of the game is completely different and so I was expecting a bit more from Norway I don't know uh, really what happened to them but it just felt like they never could really uh, get their game going, either defensively or offensively, uh, I felt like they um, at a point in their games, it always felt like they just 
you know, ran out of solutions, ran out of imagination, didn't really know uh, what to do. Um, and so the other teams just picked them apart at that point. And, and, and that's what led to, to the scores that we saw where they really have been conceding a lot of goals um, in, in this tournament. So I, I think Norway, um, you know, Croatia, I was expecting a bit more of them, mainly because, you know, they're a country that has a, a long uh, tradition uh, in 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 the sport but once again i mean i think it's hard when it gets to when it gets to this competition because we really don't know how the players will present themselves and, and what we'll see from them will they be able to perform and show um the level that we got used to them so i think norway as well as as croatia those are the two main te- the two teams that i think i was expecting a bit more of them and i i wouldn't say they're disappointed because i mean it, i'm not disappointed uh, but i think we they, they could have maybe done a bit more or, or um Maybe if things were a bit different, they could have continued for for a different position. As Slovenia, I think it would be in that package as well. You know, they 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 won this championship last year. Basically, it was under 19s last year, and um, you know, it it's it, it's also hard to know, I guess, what, how teams are approaching it. You know, we've seen over the years teams like Sweden, where every year they they take out the whole b- batch of players and bring in new players and. Uh, see it as more of a development thing so yeah that's um i guess it's good to focus on the positives uh, in this regard uh when it comes to these teams uh alex did you notice any any team in particular that have stood out for you serbia have had a very good championship yeah um i i think i was a little bit disappointed in germany um even though they they still made it to the main round but uh, generally, I, I feel like a, a German team should, and it, it's the first time they haven't made a semi-final at, at this level in, in quite a while. So, um, no, no one really stood. It, it's more when I look at these matches, I'm looking at the players who stood out as opposed to the way the team has played. And for me, uh, no one really stood out in, in this German team. Um, yeah, that's that's probably my disappointment, but. We're going into the semi-finals, which will be between Spain and Serbia and Portugal play Sweden. Um, we're going to ask you, Leonardo, for some predictions here. And be aware that a lot of people will probably listen to this podcast after all those games. <laughs> so even more pressure on you. <laughs> okay. Now, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm just going to come out and say it. I think the final is going to be between Portugal and Spain. I think those are the main candidates. Those are the teams that have played the bare handball over the course of, of these last of this last week, these last couple of, of days. And so I think Portugal are going to win. I think Spain are going to be able to, to beat Serbia. Uh, even though I was like, I really wanted uh, Germany to beat Sweden. I don't know. Maybe it's just this psychological thing. Uh, I'm afraid of the Swedish, uh, that that whole <laughs> coldness. Uh, even though... <laughs> hey, they're going to suffer in the heat, right? They're, they're going to have some trouble with the, the temperature. Hopefully so, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, you just look at... I was talking to, to my friend and colleague at Setmetr, Emma, uh, during the, the Portugal-Denmark game, and, and every time we looked at the scoreboard, we saw Portugal six goals ahead of Denmark, and it was just... She kept, like nudging me and saying look look at scoreboard like would you believe that portugal would be like six goals ahead of, of denmark because we usually look at at the name of the of the nation and not at the team themselves uh, and so every time i look and see sweden i think we're going to play the the european champions uh and so uh, it's tough but i think portugal the, the everything i've seen the fact that they were able to to rest a, a couple of players against against hungary i think the team's coming they're getting they're going motivated into this game i mean they're playing at home or we're playing at home even though i'm not i won't be in the court unfortunately i wish i was but um but yeah i think we're playing at home and portugal will will bring it all and 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 hopefully win because i think we've been really consistent and and maybe we just got that it factor whether it be martin kiku or maybe another player like andres Souza, like sean gomes like any of them who, who've been playing at a high level when it gets to to spain and and serbia I wasn't expecting Serbia to reach the semifinals. Um, and so maybe uh, I wouldn't call it a Cinderella story because Serbia uh, are quite a powerful nation, but uh, maybe they'll be able to to, um, to surprise Spain. But I mean, from what we've seen, Spain just have so many options. Uh, I mean, they just, they're just able to play 
uh, either in a more uh, Spanish type of play with a lot of ball movement, players constantly uh, switching positions, or they can play at a high tempo, fast paced game. Um, and and I, when we look at it, I think the Spain have way too many options, and and they'll probably beat Serbia. Um, and if Portugal and Spain meet in the final, I think we all know uh, who I'm rooting for, uh, <laughs> and hopefully we'll get. Hopefully we'll get. Uh, another amazing game. Uh, I would just wish if it didn't come down to the dying seconds and and, and maybe if Portugal could win, uh, I don't know, right? three or four at least. I think my phone would thank it and my heart would also <laughs> be much appreciated. I think that's also from a neutral point of view, a bit of a dream final for this tournament. So it's Spain and Portugal uh, on a Sunday evening. I think no no heat wave could keep people from watching that and uh well i hope for your sake that that'll be the case the semi-finals on friday night and the final on sunday evening uh leo it's been a pleasure to have you on for the first time and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on again uh it's been really nice to talk to you and uh yeah let's uh let's keep our fingers crossed for portugal from a neutral point of view as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah thank you chris thank you alex uh, if, there, if you're ever in portugal uh let me know and we'll set something up Lovely. Thank you, Leo. Take care. Thanks, Leo. Thank you. Thank you to Leo there. A really exciting championship. Lots of stars to look forward to. I'm sure the names that we talked about over the last 20 minutes are going to be names on everyone's minds in a couple of years as they take on the world the humble world at a senior level including the skipper including the skipper which i'm like coining it. right I now like because it. everyone struggles yeah. let's just go with skipper he is the captain of the faroese ship and he's going to bring them to glory eventually <laughs> yeah i'm on board with that <laughs> we have a last competition to talk about and that is the world games uh where the beach humble competition is taking place a funny story about that the danish team was the danish men's team was supposed to participate there both both men and women both danish teams yeah. were supposed to participate in that world championship but uh an sas strike happened around the same time as they were going to travel so they just couldn't get a flight um that is really really sad um very difficult for all of those players who won their place in that competition and uh, i'm sure we're looking forward to taking beach handball by storm at a world stage but uh very unfortunate for them yeah but it doesn't matter because we wouldn't have seen the games anyway right chris <laughs> <laughs> well, it matters to the players <laughs> uh definitely fucking matters to the players i feel really really sad for them uh imagine Oh, because I, I guess the problem is like you can't like you're trying to rebook like f- thirty people. I mean, it's one thing if it's one person, but trying to get two whole teams over uh, to Birmingham, Alabama—that's uh, that's tricky. And so, yeah, really, really sad for them. And uh, also, Vietnam's women's team couldn't make it because they couldn't get visas. So, I. <sighs> Sounds like it's all been a bit of a shit show. <laughs> and uh, I think it is uh, well reflected in the fact that none of the games so far have been streamed, which is pretty mad for what is like basically, in other terms, the B Olympics. So it's like uh, it's a multi-sport event for sports that are considered like Olympic sports but aren't in the Olympics. And yeah, I think it's only now, so we're recording on Thursday, it's only this evening for the semifinals and then the finals tomorrow that they're finally going to be on the the Olympics uh, streaming platforms. I think so, the German women's team, they've had games on uh, Sport 1 in Germany, but besides that, yeah, nothing. So uh, I've been uh, really hyped, about, both of us have been really hyped about Beach Handball this summer, playing it, and then you know there was the World Championship, a couple of weeks ago and this is something that really should have been uh, an interesting thing to follow but yeah there's been no real chance to follow it so uh, i'm gonna watch it tonight and uh, and see how it goes it's the semi-finals in both competitions uh we have the usa who have managed to to qualify both men's and women's teams in there so it's croatia against the usa in one semi-final in the men's side uh, brazil 
against Qatar in the other. And then in the women's semifinals, Norway, Argentina, and then Germany against USA. So uh, anyone who listened to the last couple of podcasts uh, will have heard how impressed Marcia was with uh, Germany's team. They've continued to be really impressive. And maybe they're going to make it a, a perfect summer for them. Right. We'll leave it there. We have plenty to talk about in terms of transfers in uh, this summer. Barcelona have finally decided to announce a few players, which I think uh, <laughs> was a great relief to Hampus Vanna, Emil Nielsen and Jonathan Carlsbergord, who finally got their uh, their. I'm sure they had their contract signed. But Barca are just really weird about like not announcing players in advance. Um, I'm sure we'll speak a little bit more about that. Do you have any insight as a, a Barca man, Alex? I'd say it's it's literally something as uh, trivial as they need to have the new season's jerseys on. And that doesn't get announced oh. until the summer where the, the new kit th- that's obviously for the football team is also announced. So like, I'd say it's just something as trivial, trivial as that that uh, is holding it back. Um, I think they're mm. stuck in the football way of thinking in the football processes. Okay. And, you know, you, you don't generally announce a signing in the middle um, of the year with football anyway. The, the players knew. The players <laughs> even if not, And we all knew, but now it's official. And we'll speak about those transfers and a lot more in the next podcast and also talk a little bit about the, the Champions League groups for next season. It feels mad already talking about that, uh, but they're all set in stone. And uh, yeah, look back on on other things that are happening over the summer, this surprisingly busy summer of handball. But until then, from Alex and myself, take care and goodbye. (laughs) 